Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. In today's podcast, I look at the story that is every parent's nightmare. It is chilling, terrifying, and again highlights the theme we often hear on this podcast, which is the pure chance of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And no mentions of the Mighty League United being top of the league, I promise, okay? This week's show is sponsored by Away. Away makes suitcases for the way we actually travel to solve real-life problems. For example, I always use their case when I travel for work, as the inbuilt ejectable battery charger means I don't have to worry about my phone being out of charge when I land. I'm a terrible packer, but the interior compression system helps me to pack more, and the removable washable laundry bag really helps too. You see, real-life issues solved. As well as that, it looks cool in a number of different colours, it's lightweight and easy to transport with four 360 degree spinner wheels. Get yours today. Listeners to this podcast will get £15 off their purchase. Please just head to awaytravel.com slash crime and use promo code crime to take advantage of this special offer. That is awaytravel.com slash crime and use the promo code, all in capital letters, crime. And with every suitcase coming with a 100-day trial so you can decide on the perfect size and colour, it's an ideal gift for this Christmas. Get yours today. A huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new members of our exclusive club. That's Jessica Gore, Sandra Walsh, Cherry Nixon and Grant Newton. Thank you so much for your support. And I'd also like to say a big happy birthday to one of my biggest supporters on Patreon. That's Laura Knox, whose birthday is on Christmas Eve. Have a great day, Laura. Thank you for your support. And of course, stay classy. Before we start, let's take a quick look at the music we were listening to at the time of today's story, the 26th of November, 2000. Number one this week in the UK and US was Destiny's Child with Independent Woman. The Australian number one was Who Let the Dogs Out by Baha Men. I think I'd rather saw my own leg off than listen to that song again, would you? In the news this month, Ethiopian Emperor Haile Selassie was laid to rest 20 years after his death, after a funeral procession through Addis Ababa. The controversial US presidential election between George W. Bush and Al Gore was inconclusive, with the results in Bush's favour eventually resolved by the Supreme Court. And 155 skiers and snowboarders died when a cable car caught fire in an alpine tunnel near Capron, Austria. In UK true crime news, the theft of £350,000 worth of diamonds from the Millennium Dome was foiled by the police. Remember that case? And Damiola Taylor, a 10-year-old boy originally from Nigeria, was stabbed to death on his way home from school in Peckham. London. Today's story is from Leeds in Yorkshire and as we know the centre of the footballing universe. In November 2000 Leanne Tiernan was 16 with everything to look forward to. She was part of a close family in which the local Methodist church at Bramley played a big part. Along with her sisters Janet and Michelle Leanne was baptised at the church and she was a member of some of the church youth groups. She especially liked the Saturday evening youth fellowship and she liked to join in discussion of topical subjects. She also loved to choose her favourite chorus 
Shine Jesus Shine. Leanne also helped out at the Sunday school and she did so on the morning of the 26th of November. She was a kind, popular girl with plenty of friends and although working hard for her GCSEs, she made time that day to go Christmas shopping in Leeds with one of her best friends, Sarah Whitehouse. On their way home, the two girls took a bus to the outskirts of Bramley, as they'd done so many times before, before going their separate ways near Sarah's house. Leanne's mum and dad, Michael and Sharon, were divorced, and on this November day her dad was away on holiday. When Leanne didn't come home when expected, her mum kept looking at her watch, wondering just where she'd got to. It really was most out of character for Leanne. When her friend Sarah arrived home, she phoned Leanne's house and was surprised to find that Leanne was not there yet. At 5.20pm, Leanne's mum rang her mobile phone to find out where she was, but the phone rang out for some time and then cut off. When she rang it again, it was cut off after just four rings. Although she tried to delay reporting her daughter to the police, telling herself again and again that there was an innocent explanation, the nagging feeling that something was seriously wrong wouldn't go away and she made the call to the police at 7pm, reporting Leanne as a missing person. She told them that her daughter was happy, confident streetwise and she'd never gone missing before. Police were instantly worried and after she'd been missing for a week, Detective Superintendent Chris Gregg of the West Yorkshire Police who was leading the investigation feared the worst. Leanne appeared happy at home and although GCSEs put young adults under great pressure, she seemed to be coping well and was not unduly worried. They didn't think that Leanne had run away from home. It appeared that Leanne had just disappeared without trace. Complicating the police search was the fact that the area in which Leanne had disappeared consisted of vastly varying terrain. There were more than 700 houses, open areas, woodland, canals, drainage shaft and dangerous wells. Police conducted an extensive house-to-house inquiry and the search eventually grew enormous, involving uniformed officers, operational support, the dog section, the mounted section, underwater search and air support. Now a week on, Leanne's sister Michelle, aged 19, bravely agreed to take part in the reconstruction of the events of the week before as her sister. For the reconstruction, Michelle wore a dark sweatshirt and black trousers, identical to those her sister was wearing when she disappeared. She even had her eyebrow pierced like Leanne's to increase the similarity. Mirroring the sequence of events of seven days earlier, Michelle and Sarah got on a single-decker number 16 bus from Leeds City Centre, getting off 20 minutes later, and walked together for five minutes, flanked by police, until they parted company near Sarah's house. Michelle then made her way down an unlit track surrounded by trees, before cutting onto a council estate and walking the last 10 minutes to her home. Officers carrying photographs of Leanne spoke to people along the route to ask if they had seen the teenager the week before. Detective Chris Gregg said, We are hoping that by recreating the events of last Sunday, it may help to jog people's memories as to any possible sightings of Leanne. Michelle is really upset about what has happened with her sister and it's taken a lot of courage for her to do what she has done today. We can't explain why Leanne has disappeared at this stage, but we have to remain hopeful that she's going to make a safe return. 
Leanne's parents both made emotional appeals to the public for any assistance they may provide in the search for their daughter. There were several reports of possible sightings of Leanne, which police investigated, but sadly all to no avail. The police dedicated more and more resources to the case, with over 1,400 house-to-house inquiries conducted and 800 houses along her probable route, designated by the police as the Red Route, were searched, along with 800 sheds, garages and outbuildings, and 150 commercial premises within a half-mile radius. DNA samples were taken from 140 men interviewed by the police in connection with the inquiry, and 12 search warrants were executed at various addresses in Leeds. The West Yorkshire Police Underwater Search Unit carried out a search of a three-mile section of the Leeds and Liverpool Canal between Spring Garden Lock and Bramley Falls, two miles of which was drained to a depth of one metre. The unit also searched 32 drain shafts in the area, and Yorkshire Water were called in to help locate disused and abandoned drains and wells. Collections of household waste were halted temporarily to allow police to search all bins in the area for evidence. The inquiry also received assistance from British Waterways, the British Transport Police, the Ministry of Defence's Aerial Reconnaissance Department, Calder Valley Search and Rescue Team, Interpol and the Police National Search Centre, a joint police and military training facility. Detectives also sent text messages to Leanne's mobile phone, which was now switched off, but had briefly been activated on the 27th of November the day after she disappeared. A local businessman offered a £10,000 reward for information leading to her safe return, and supermarket chain Iceland printed her picture and details on milk cartons sold at its stores nationwide. There were unconformed reports of sightings as far away as Doncaster and Blackpool, but after nine months, there had been no positive sightings. Leanne's boyfriend, care assistant Wayne Keeley, aged 19, pleaded with her to get in touch. And on the 4th of December, police released an e-fit of a man who'd been seen walking a dog in the area shortly before Leanne disappeared. He was described as being 5 foot 8 inches tall and of stocky build with a round reddish face that could possibly be scarred, wearing a black woolen hat, a three-quarter length waterproof jacket and dirty jeans. And two witnesses came forward to say they'd heard a woman's high-pitched scream in the area around the time Leanne disappeared. But there were no other witnesses and no confirmed sightings of her. And no evidence linked to her abduction was ever found. Was this screaming woman Leanne? Police suspected it was, but they just couldn't be sure. Her mum, Sharon, later spoke about that Christmas time while they were waiting for news of Leanne, saying, That Christmas, although we didn't much feel like it, I decorated the living room and my mum made the full traditional dinner, convinced that Leanne would turn up on Christmas Day. We'd already bought her some presents before she disappeared and they were waiting for her. Then nine months after her disappearance, on Monday the 20th of August 2001, Leanne Tiernan's body was discovered near Otley, on the border of North and West Yorkshire, 16 miles from her house and several miles from the scene of the crime. A man out walking his dog in Lindley Woods near the Warren Point car park stumbled across her body, wrapped in a floral duvet cover and buried in a shallow grave. 
It transpired that a few days before the body was discovered, a retired couple had seen a man carrying a large floral patterned bundle from the boot of his car into the woods. Inside the duvet cover, Leanne's body had been wrapped in green plastic bin liners tied with twine. Covering her head was a black bin liner, held in place with a dog collar tied tightly around her neck. Her hands had been bound together with cable ties, and around her neck were more cable ties and a scarf. Later, speaking about this time to the Yorkshire Evening Post newspaper, Leanne's mum Sharon said, We used a prepared script because it was better for me. No one's ever told me how to behave in front of the media. When they'd found her, we went into the room in front of everyone and I just couldn't speak. I broke down and I had to run away. At the time, you do what you're told you should and you do it because you think it'll help. But that was just all too much for me. Leanne Tiernan's funeral was held on Friday the 28th of September 2001, a day after what would have been her 17th birthday. At the place that had meant so much to her during her life, the Sanford Methodist Church in Bramley. The church was packed with mourners who were requested not to wear black and they honoured the family's wishes by wearing brightly coloured trousers and tops, flowered skirts and denim jackets. They were, after all, the kind of clothes the bright and shiny Leanne used to dress in and what her mum Sharon said she would have wanted people to wear. There wasn't a dry eye during the service as Sister Durbin told the congregation that Leanne was now out of all pain and suffering in that promised place where nothing can hurt her again, adding, her life has been extinguished, but her personality will continue to shine brightly in our lives. Hymns, including Leanne's favourites, Give Me Oil in My Lamp and Shine Jesus Shine were sung, and the pop song Angel by Tina Cousins was played as her coffin was taken out of church. The post-mortem examination shocked detectives. It showed that the degree of decomposition of the body was inconsistent with burial in the ground for the full nine months since she had disappeared. Investigators were therefore hopeful that enough forensic evidence would be present to lead them to the killer. And police officers, forensic and scientific experts, conducted a fingertip search of the dense woodland where Leanne's body had been buried and expanded this to cover an area of 20,000 square metres. Detectives hoped they would find DNA on the body and make a quick breakthrough, but disappointingly this wasn't the case. So detectives took a very logical and methodical approach to finding who had killed Leanne. Detectives felt that the culprit was likely to be local and know the area where she was abducted and where her body was dumped. So they appealed to the public for people linked to the Bramley area of Leeds and Lindley Woods in particular. The appeal resulted in hundreds of names put forward, all of whom were investigated, including that of a poacher who lived in Bramley and used to go to the woods. He was called John Taylor. This was really interesting to detectives, as Taylor's name had also come up in another area of the investigation. Detectives had set out to work investigating the items that were found on Leanne's body. They were particularly confident they could locate the origin of the dog collar that was found on her body. They contacted more than 100 pet shops locally and suppliers before they were successful and eventually made contact with a company who kept computerised records of all their customers 
including those supplied by mail order. One of those customers had bought a number of dog collars similar to the one found on Leanne's body and he happened to live in Bramley. His name was John Taylor. It was starting to look like Taylor was the man who had abducted and murdered Leanne. It fitted as he was a local man. In fact, he lived on the same estate as Leanne, just 1,300 yards from her home. Detectives investigated John Taylor in more detail. They discovered he'd enjoyed hunting from an early age. He was known to gain pleasure from inflicting pain on small animals, as well as regularly catching and torturing rabbits. He'd been seen stabbing a fox repeatedly while out poaching, and he also enjoyed clubbing pheasants to death. Taylor had been married and had a son, born in 1981, and a daughter, born in 1983. Now divorced, Taylor was a parcel delivery worker and lived alone in a terraced home in Bramley. His neighbours thought of him as trustworthy and described him as an ordinary bloke. As police began to conduct thorough inquiries into his background, they discovered that he was a frequent user of Lonely Heart advertisements. Remember, this is before internet dating was big. Through his phone records, they identified the women he'd contacted in this way and they began to interview them. One woman who had dated him said that Taylor's thing was tying women up and locking them in a cupboard. Another said that Taylor had told her he'd a fetish for bondage, whips and ties and said that he wanted to tie her 15-year-old daughter up with cable ties and have sex with her. A former girlfriend who had briefly lived with Taylor told the police that she often visited Lindley Woods with him while they were dating and that she eventually broke off the relationship with him because of his bondage fetish and the feeling that she was being raped every time they had sex. When asked by police to describe how Taylor would tie her, she described his practice of securing a plastic cable tie around each of her wrists, then tying her hands behind her back using a third cable tie to link them. This was exactly how Leanne had been found. She also said that Taylor kept a bundle of the cable ties in a drawer next to his bed. And two other women also said that Taylor enjoyed bondage during sex and had bound their breasts and hands with cable ties. Police now began to suspect that the motive for abducting Leanne had been a sexual one. The fact that John Taylor worked at Parcel Force was also of seeming significance as some of the cable ties found on Leanne's body were supplied almost exclusively to Parcel Force's parent company, Royal Mail. Detectives arrested Taylor and they began searching his house in some depth. They found cable ties and a dog collar, identical to those found with Leanne's body, inside his house. They feared that Leanne may have been killed at his house, so forensic experts were tasked to find evidence that she had been there. Scientists have found a strand of pink carpet fibre on the jumper that Leanne was wearing when she was found. And pink carpet fibres were then found attached to a nail in Taylor's house. These fibres were indistinguishable from those found on Leanne's jumper. Taylor had destroyed the pink carpet, but luckily a few fibres still remained. The twine that had been used to tie the green bin liners around Leanne's body was of an unusual composition. It was traced to a manufacturer in Devon, and having originally been made for the Ministry of Defence, had more recently been sold for rabbit netting. In Taylor's house, the Texas found an exact match of the twine as well as a piece of green plastic, identical to the bin liners used to wrap up Leanne's dead body. 
They also found Leanne's blood under Taylor's floorboards. Another success in bringing down Taylor was a police appeal for the man walking his dog where Leanne's body was later found. Taylor was well known locally for walking his dogs in the area. DCI Greg later said, The dog that he was walking that day was a terrier dog, which we found in the back garden with two other dogs buried. That terrier dog had had its head stoved in with a meat cleaver because we put an appeal in the paper with a photofit of that man asking if anybody knew of him. So we suspect he got rid of the dog. The knitted scarf found around Leanne's neck contained human hair in the knot. Initial conventional DNA tests of the hair roots failed, so forensic experts used mitochondrial DNA testing. Using these results, they managed to create a DNA profile from the minute amounts of DNA inside the hair shaft. And an expert forensic pollen analyst was able to demonstrate that Leanne had been in Taylor's garden just before she was killed based on the distinctive types of pollen found in her nasal cavity, on her skin and in her hair. Taylor, who lived alone after his wife divorced him in 1996, was arrested on suspicion of murder on the 16th of October 2001. When interviewed by police, he eventually admitted kidnapping Leanne. His explanation was that he had not visited that place for many years, but he just happened to be there on the afternoon that Leanne went missing. He said she had walked past him, and on impulse he had seized her from behind, tied her hands behind her back with a dog leash, covered her head with his jacket, and forced her to walk to his home nearby. He then forced her into his bedroom and onto the bed, where during a struggle she had fallen off the bed, striking her head on the floor. He said that he then picked her up by the scarf around her neck, at which point she had died, and he claimed that her death was an accident. He said he had panicked and hidden her body in Lindley Woods. When asked why he'd abducted Leanne, he replied, I've got no idea. When police challenged his version of taking the body to Lindley Woods soon after the murder, he claimed he'd first kept the body hidden underneath pallets in his back garden and had then stored her inside his sofa. But this didn't match the level of decomposition in the body when she was found. Detectives didn't buy Taylor's account at all and believed he only admitted to abducting Leanne due to the sheer amount of evidence. They believed that John Taylor had been lurking in the woods, waiting for a likely victim, and tragically, it turned out to be Leanne, who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. As she walked alone along the unlit path, Taylor grabbed her from behind. They believed that Taylor put his hands over her mouth, blindfolded her, and led her to his house. There he tied her hands behind her back, and during the course of a sexual assault, strangled her with a scarf and a plastic ligature. And he almost escaped justice. DCI Chris Gregg said, He is a callous, cold, cunning individual. He thought he'd got away with it. He made many mistakes, but he kept Leanne in a freezer in his kitchen for nine months. Why did he take her out when he did, and dispose of her body 20 miles away when he did? We will never know because he has never confessed to that part. The simple explanation, we feel, is that his freezer broke down. People who used to go into that house told us he did an upright freezer that suddenly disappeared. John Taylor pleaded guilty to the murder of Leantinen. He was sentenced to life in prison. At the conclusion of the trial, Detective Superintendent Greg announced, 
We do not believe that this is the first major crime he has committed. We feel that the way the murder was pre-planned and the way he hid and disposed of the body was calculated. We cannot exclude the possibility that he is killed before. We often hear this said after a trial by the police, but in this case, as a direct result of this inquiry, West Yorkshire reopened a number of murder investigations. Strathclyde Police, where he had lived for a period of time, reopened the murder investigations of six Glasgow sex workers. But although no further charges were brought on the murder cases, Taylor did admit 16 further offences, including rape. One of these offences was against a seven-year-old girl. Taylor engaged a girl who had gone out to buy a loaf of bread. He then forced a child to a secluded location, tied her to a drainpipe, and performed the sex act before coldly walking her home and fleeing the area. Facing sentencing for these crimes, Judge Robin Mayer said, This was a 20-year campaign of rape and sexual assault against children and women, fuelled by a sadistic desire to inflict pain for sexual gratification. These were violent, sadistic attacks on women and small children, marked by ferocity and callousness. You sought to maximise the distress you could cause. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's just devastating, isn't it? Paul Leanne was just doing what so many other young people do across the world, but happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, as a monster like John Taylor was waiting for a victim, any victim. Leanne would have been 37 now. Who knows what she would be doing with her life? Interviewed recently, her mum said it is still five seconds maximum before her thoughts turn to Leanne after waking up in the morning. It's just so, so sad. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Please join us on Facebook to discuss this case or any other aspect of UK True Crime. If you'd like to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. So until we speak again on Christmas Day, enjoy the build up to Christmas and a very happy Christmas to you all. Thank you for supporting this podcast during the year. Please head to awaytravel.com to get your luggage. Enjoy the week and remember, stay classy.